This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. In manufacturing, you need to automate intelligently to compete effectively. But not all automation solutions are created equally. AGVs and AMRs driven by Bluebotics Ant technology offer robust, accurate performance and native interoperability. Because your material handling can be smarter. Visit antdriven.com. That's antdriven.com to learn more. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Anybody who has been in Dublin city centre recently will have noticed the quiet. Not many people around very often. In the evenings too, it's very quiet. And it's a bad time for certain businesses, particularly for hospitality, restaurants in particular. And a report is just out uh, today, actually, claims that over 60% of restaurants are concerned they could have to close in the coming 12 months. This research was done by an analysis company, Kroll. They reference the energy crisis, inflation, staffing pressures, which everybody seems to be suffering from. And they say these are putting the future of businesses in the hospitality sector in doubt. There's also, of course, a, a wider perception that our own economy is doing better than we have any right to expect at the moment. To discuss this now, we're joined by one of Ireland's leading economists, Jim Power. Jim has his own podcast uh, with another, Chris Johns, another of our respected uh, contributors. It's called The Other Hand, and it's doing very well and is well worth a listen. Jim, this idea, and I run into it myself quite a lot now, people can't get staff and the customers aren't there to justify opening, say, like restaurants used to. Something's happened, has it, Jim? And, and what is it that's happened to sort of deaden the restaurant business and other associated hospitality businesses? Um, hello, Eamon. Good to talk again. Um, I was a firm advocate for a... Um, continuation of the 9% VAT rate for the hospitality sector. Um, it was due to expire at the end of February. They've now pushed it out six months. And um, I argued vehemently that the 9% VAT rate should be extended. And I know within the Department of Finance and the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform, 
uh, there was a lot of resistance to that. But at the end of the day, um, the Minister of Finance, Michael McGrath, decided that um, coming into the summer season, peak tourism season and so on, yes. that increasing the VAT rate from 9 to 12.5% would not have been a good idea. Um, and uh, as I say, I was I was glad that happened. And in fact, I would argue that the 9% VAT rate should be extended indefinitely for that sector. Um, restaurants have had a really difficult time um, since the beginning of 2020. I mean, and, and I guess even before that, um, despite what some people might think, um, the restaurant business, um, for the vast majority of restaurants, it's a tough business. Margins are very tight. Input costs are high, um, including staff, commercial rates, energy, and so on. So I, I think it's a tough business, and it certainly is not a business that represents a license to print money. But since March 2020, all of these issues have really been highlighted. Obviously, for a two-year period, restaurants were subject to significant levels of restriction. A lot of staff left the restaurant sector, and that has been one of the issues since you know they've reopened after yes. COVID. Many restaurants are really, really struggling to recruit staff, to retain staff, and wage costs are rising. And um, as a consequence of that, you know, many restaurants are now in serious difficulty. Um, COVID, I think, has been the issue really that has fundamentally altered the landscape. And I think the report you allude to from the accountancy firm Crow just highlights the financial plight of many restaurants at the moment. And there's a lot of stuff going on, um, you know, within, you mentioned Dublin City Centre, and it's certainly the case that at lunchtime some days um, it is incredibly quiet. Uh, Thursday has now become the new Friday because a lot of workers do not come into work in the office on Friday. And I know plenty of examples now of restaurants that are actually open for lunch on Friday, on Thursday and are not open on Friday. So the week has changed significantly. But apart from that, um, the staffing issue is a huge issue and it's chefs, um, it's waiting staff. It's everybody associated with the running of a good restaurant. Serious, serious difficulties there. Uh, the cost base has increased dramatically. You know, energy costs have increased strongly. Wage costs are rising. Um, and then there's the, all of the various regulatory costs that are imposed upon restaurant owners. And um, in, in a nutshell, um, I would agree with that analysis from Crow Accountancy Firm that yes. a lot of restaurants are really, really struggling to survive at this stage. And that, um, you know, if the situation doesn't improve and there's no reason to see why it might improve, that a lot of restaurants could actually go out of business um, over the next 12 months. Yes, and it, it damages uh, and is fatal for the working lives of so many people. It also damages the city centre, the atmosphere, uh, the energy that you, you you know that attracts people to cities. That maybe they go in for something and then decide to have lunch or or an evening meal. The 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 supply chain issues, Jim. We read all the time that all kinds of food is either very scarce or very scarce and extremely ex expensive. Is that a huge factor? It seems to me as if it would be. 
Well, uh, yeah, I mean, d- during COVID, obviously during restrictions and lockdown, um, you know, supply chains were seriously damaged. Uh, but of course, uh, following the invasion of Ukraine on 24th of February last year, the whole global food supply chain has been seriously undermined and damaged. Um, and as a consequence of that, we have seen food prices increase very, very significantly. Um, and at the consumer level, you know, food price inflation is now running in excess of 13%, which is the highest we've seen, um, in generations in this country. So that that is imposing further pressures because it is not alone consumers that are having to pay higher prices for food at the retail level, but restaurants in sourcing and buying food for the restaurant are also facing significantly higher costs. And uh, people would argue, and I, I you know, I, I saw it argued strongly during the run up to the decision by government to extend the 9% VAT rate, that restaurants, it's no harm, they're in trouble, that they don't pay their staff very well. And as a consequence of that, uh, you know, they deserve to go out of business. Um, I do not believe that restaurants exploit staff. Um, it, it is one of the lower paid sectors in the economy. There's no doubt about that. And the statistics from the CSO would show that retail and hospitality are amongst the lowest paying sectors in the economy. Uh, but I think there is a reason for that. And that is that, you know, if you paid staff significantly higher wages, given all of the other input costs facing the operators of restaurants, that you would have to see a further significant increase in restaurant prices to actually accommodate significantly higher wage costs. And um, consumers um, would not, would be resistant to that. So it, it's a little bit of a chicken and egg situation. Yes. Uh, but the, the net result is, you know, that restaurants are struggling with costs across a broad range. Um, and I think the staffing one is is probably the biggest issue at this stage. And it's the one that's going to impose most pressure over the coming months. Because at the end of the day, we have a 4.3% unemployment rate in the country at the moment. We have record levels of employment. Um, and effectively, the economy is as close to full employment as you can get. And as a consequence of that, restaurants are struggling. And, and, and it's also the nature of working in a restaurant is tough. You know, the hours are antisocial because, yes. you know, res- restaurants open late at night, uh, many open early in the morning. So it's, it's, it's a tough working environment. And during COVID, many people just decided they got a taste for life outside of that sort of working environment and decided to leave the system and not come back. And restaurants are now struggling as a consequence of that. And it's happening everywhere, Eamon. I was in San Francisco not too long ago. And likewise, many restaurants and hospitality businesses are struggling to stay open because of the staffing issue. So yes. it's a global phenomenon. The general impression um, we have, Jim, is that in this current crisis, that Ireland has done well and we've done well. Uh, because of the uh, foreign direct investment uh, and the tech sector uh, is one reason. Also, the uh, chemicals and the uh, drugs sector, very buoyant. Uh, How well have we done in relation to other European countries and in particular 
perhaps, in relation to uh, the UK in terms of keeping our economy s- strong and using every advantage we can to create the employment required. Well, I, I think, Eamon, describing the status of the Irish economy has to be a bit nuanced in terms of, you know, how you interpret what's going on. Um, at a statistical level, GDP last year was up by 12%, um, which was by far the strongest in the world economy, not alone in Europe. Um, but of course, in the context of Ireland, you've got to adjust gross domestic product for GDP it does grossly exaggerate the real health of the economy yes. for a few reasons. One is um, multinational companies since 2015, small a, a small number have moved significant intellectual property assets into Ireland that boost GDP, but don't really do much on the ground in the real economy. Yes. Um, Ireland is one of the global leaders in aircraft leasing. That exaggerates GDP. And of course, at the end of last year, multinational companies repatriated around 130 billion of GDP to their shareholders in their home country. So you have to strip that out as well right. to get a sense of what's happening on the ground. But even when you adjust for all of that modified domestic demand in the economy last year, which is the adjusted measure, which tries to measure what's really happening on the ground, increased by 8.2%. And the evidence as we approach, as we, we've just finished the first quarter of this year, is that that momentum has been maintained. So in overall terms, Ireland is doing reasonably well, um, and that is manifesting itself in an unemployment rate of 4.3%. Um, at the end of last year, we had 2.574 million people in employment in the economy, which is the highest level ever. Um, the export side of the economy growing very strongly. So, and of course, the exchequer finances last year, incredibly strong. We took in a lot of tax and there is no greater uh, manifestation of the health of an economy than the tax revenues that are being collected. And um, we're about to get the tax revenues for the first quarter of the year. Um, I expect those to be quite strong as well. So in the overall aggregate sense, the economy is doing well. But then, you know, if you strip down into at a sectoral level just to see what's happening, um, the multinational side of the economy has been incredibly buoyant. At the end of last year, 301,000 people employed directly, um, another 300,000 jobs dependent on those. Um, but therein does lie a problem because 10 companies, 10 multinational companies contributed over 55% of our total corporation tax so we're living, we're living, danger, we're living well, dangerously in, in one sense. Well, we uh, are. On the merchandise yeah. export side of the economy as well, uh, the chemical and pharmaceutical sector that you mentioned, um, that accounts for around 64% of our total exports. So as a country, we are really, really heavily dependent on the multinational sector. And of course, the problem would be if that multinational sector, if part of it were to experience difficulties, we have a problem. Um, and indeed, that is now starting to play out because we're, we've seen a significant readjustment in the global technology sector over 
the last six months at least. That is now starting to materialize in job losses in the technology sector here. Um, And I would estimate around 2,600 jobs have been lost to date. Um, But I think a lot of those workers will actually be snapped up by other parts of the economy. But I think what is a bigger risk is on the corporation tax side. Um, I think it is likely over the coming months as global tech profits continue to decline that the um, corporation tax take in this country from the technology sector will also start to come under some pressure. And that's why, you know, the Department of Finance was out in January when it released the exchequer returns for the full year of 2022. Um, They were out strongly, you know, saying we need to be careful about spending this money, that some of it is transient. And indeed, I was at a speech from Michael McGrath, Minister of Finance last week, where he said, that the Department of Finance believes that up to 10 billion of the 22 billion we collected last year in corporation tax could be vulnerable in the event of some sort of um, global um, multinational, particularly technology correction. So the health of the multinational side of the economy has been a major support for the overall economy. Uh, but then if you look at other sectors of the economy, you know, we've discussed the restaurant sector and hospitality, tourism sectors in general, um, finding the, the going quite tough at the moment. Uh, the retail sector, generally, it's a challenging environment as well. And for many SMEs, and at the end of the day, 99.2% of businesses in Ireland employ less than 250 people. Many of those companies are struggling to stay alive at the moment because interest rates rising, the cost of doing business rising, a very uncertain global economic outlook. You know, all of those headwinds that we've lived with uh, for the last 12 months particularly are having an impact there. So, Eamon, it's, as I say, it's a nuanced view on how Ireland is doing. Um, but, but suffice to say, the key reason why it is doing so well is because of the multinational sector. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today... We're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now, the big story emerging today is about OPEC and their uh, reducing uh, production by 500,000 barrels a day. This is led by the Saudis. Uh, they want to, I don't know, protect their profits or make the price of oil. Is that a significant factor? And is the, to look at the bigger picture, these bank failures we saw in the United States last week, one in particular, there was a, a, a big bust. Is there something out there, Jim, that we should be nervous of? Something in the world economy, in the United States in particular, but something, I mean, the Bank of England also sort of threading warily along the way with inflation, high interest rates. Are we in a bit of bother? Or is there a danger that something is happening out there in, in, in the world economy that threatens people? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, and and I think this hasn't just suddenly happened. For the last three years, um, strong global headwinds have been building up. We had the two years of thereabouts of COVID disruption. Um, yeah. And in the last 13 months, we've had the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the consequences of that. Um, and one of the consequences of both those events, uh, and indeed probably a decade of historically low interest rates and quantitative easing or money printing. After a decade of that, um, inflation has become a real issue. And last October, in most jurisdictions, inflation reached the highest level in over 40 years. And there has been some easing of the headline inflation rates since then. Uh, but that is primarily due to falling energy prices because natural gas and oil prices have fallen significantly over the last three or four months, whereas central banks would be concerned that the non-energy components of inflation um, still represent a major threat. So, you know, we spoke about labor shortages and that's feeding through to wage pressures in many countries. The costs of basic services has been under significant pressure. So central bankers are really concerned about all of those inflationary pressures. And of course, with the latest decision from OPEC to cut back oil production again, um, we see oil prices up about $4 a barrel um, already today in response to that. Um, if that were to continue, it means that this decline we've seen in headline inflation driven by energy could actually come to a standstill. And then, you know, in, in the, the overall inflation situation starts to deteriorate again. So that that's not good news. And I guess the real issue stemming from that inflation situation is that central bankers who this time last year believed that inflation was transitory, changed their mind quite rapidly. And we've seen in the United States rates go from zero last March to 5% at the moment. 
UK rates have gone from just over zero to four and a quarter at the moment. And since the end of July last year, the European Central Bank has increased interest rates from zero to three and a half percent, with the promise from Philip Lane last week of more to come. And the bottom line is when you get that sort of dramatic increase in interest rates, albeit from historically low and abnormally low levels. Um, But when you get that sort of magnitude of increase so quickly, there will be consequences. And we're starting to see those consequences feeding through, obviously, for consumers and businesses, as these higher interest rates are passed through, that will impose further pressures. Uh, But I think where it has most visibly manifested itself in the last month or so is on the banking side. Um, We've seen the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank. Um, We've seen Credit Suisse in Switzerland being bought by its biggest rival, UBS, because it was on the brink of failure. Um, And a key driver, okay, you can go through each of these banks and say, well, actually, there are unique circumstances that led to the demise of this financial institution. You know, Silicon Valley Bank had about 93% of its deposit base that was not covered by the insurance scheme in the States, which guarantees deposits up to 250,000. 93% of deposits in that bank were over 250,000. So hence, were not um, insured under the scheme. And, and then the bank um, had an absolutely barmy investment strategy by putting a significant portion of its customer deposits into long-term bond markets. And with rising interest rates, those bond, the value of those bonds fell sharply. Right. We saw a run, a traditional bank run on that bank. Uh, deposits start to flow out in a dramatic fashion. And the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation had to step in and shut down the bank. Uh, Likewise, with Signature Bank in New York, you can make the same sorts of arguments. And moving to Europe, the Credit Suisse situation, um, that bank has been a basket case for over a decade, engulfed in all sorts of financial scandals and totally mismanaged by its management structure. Um, and, And that is the point at the moment. You can go through each of those banks and say, well, Actually, there's a unique set of circumstances which gave rise to this situation. But of course, the question we have no idea um, as to the answer to at the moment is how many more more? banks are there out there? And the nature of the challenge, I think, is very clearly demonstrated by the reaction of policymakers. Uh, We've seen in the States, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury both step in in an aggressive fashion to support the U.S. banking system. Likewise, the European Central Bank in Europe has um, said it will do whatever it takes to prevent um, banking problems from arising in Europe. Um, So the fact that central bankers and treasury departments or finance ministries, as we call them, this side of the world, react that aggressively just shows how concerned they are about these problems. So there, there is no doubt about it. Um, the world economy is in a precarious place at the moment. There's a massive amount of uncertainty out there. And um, from an Irish perspective, clearly um, those external challenges we have to take very seriously here. Yes. Um, just a final question, Jim, um, about the effect on the world economy, the European economy, 
in particular, and of course the Irish economy, of Putin's war in Ukraine. How badly does that affect our economy, and will it affect our economy if it is, uh, as it looks as if it might, last now for some time to come? Um, you know, we, we saw in the first six months of the Ukraine war a dramatic impact on the global economy and indeed on the Irish economy. Um, it manifested itself in three main ways. One was we saw a serious escalation in energy costs. We saw a huge level of uncertainty coming into the winter about the price of energy and more importantly yes. about the availability of energy. Um, secondly, we saw a surge in global food prices because Ukraine is basically a breadbasket of the world, yes. a major producer of wheat and sunflower oil and so on. So there was a huge disruption to the global food supply chain. And thirdly, we saw significant disruption to industrial metals, um, metals that are used, for example, in the manufacture of electric batteries and so on. So there was a massive, massive shock to the global supply chain as a result of the Ukraine war. And the problem, of course, is that these this supply shock came on top of the pre-existing supply shocks that had been caused by COVID-19 COVID yes. and the restrictions that were put in place. So that was the first six months, a dramatic impact. Then we came into the winter and the fears about global energy supply abated for a few reasons, in Europe particularly abated for a few reasons. One was that the winter turned out to be much milder than was expected. That was yes. good for demand. Secondly, um, and we kind of laughed at it at the time when politicians and governments were coming out, basically, and other stakeholders telling people to turn off the lights, turn your heating down, etc. Well, actually, that call to conservation did significantly reduce the global demand for energy as well. So that was good. And thirdly, we saw a significant um, diversification away from Russian energy, um, right. natural gas, particularly towards um, Norway, for example. So, you know, the, the winter actually turned out much better than expected from an energy price front. And um, there was no question mark over the availability of energy and that definitely was a boost to global economy and as we came into january and february a number of international forecasting agencies such as the international monetary fund revised their growth outlook up a little bit as a result of that but i reckon the next forecast we're going to see from those bodies following the um banking problems that we've discussed, uh, yes. we'll see a downward revision as well. So the global economy is facing massive headwinds, and there is no doubt about it, the Ukraine war has had a huge impact and continues to have an impact. It has abated at the moment, but I suspect as we go into the winter, we're going to start to see uncertainty about energy again. And as you say, and I, I find it hard to disagree with you, unfortunately, um, the Ukraine war looks like an indefinite war at this juncture. So it's going to continue to be a dark shadow lurking over the global economy for the foreseeable future. Um, so I, I wouldn't get carried away about this relative sense of calm at the moment. Yes. Um, it, it, it is likely to abate when we come into the winter again. Okay, Jim, uh, we're very grateful to you. Uh, Jim Parr is one of our leading economists and, uh, 
We're grateful to Jim for joining us today to take a look at what's happening in the economy. We're grateful to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. If you're a Shark Tank fan or business junkie, check out the podcast, Another Bites. Each week, Another Bite breaks down the biggest success stories and most disastrous failures to come out of Shark Tank. The hosts break down each company's pitch, analyze the deals that were or weren't made, and answer the million-dollar question, are they still a company? Whether you're an entrepreneur looking for tips or a Shark Tank fan that just wants to relive the drama, Another Bite's your deep dive into the world of Shark Tank. Just search for Another Bite in your favorite podcast app, like the one you're listening to right now. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrir. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35, and today... We're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.